This is the Scott Bradley Show podcast. There is, there is stupid. There is, there is stupid. There is insulting. Right? These are these are not necessarily separate things. There is stupid, and we know what stupid is. There is insulting, and we know what insulting is. But sometimes the two intersect. And I got to tell you, reading the story today and hearing the story today, because I know it was talked about on this station earlier today, the idea that Hydro One, the hydro company that is sending us these magnificently enormous bills now, because our rates have gone through the roof, everybody's paying through the teeth now for their hydro, and we know that it's going to get bigger. We know the numbers are going to go up even higher. And it's a huge concern to a lot of people. It's a huge problem for a lot of people. The rates that we are paying now bear no resemblance to the rates we were paying a a year or two ago. We are being, a lot of people are being hurt by this. People especially, I mean everybody, but people on fixed incomes, I can't imagine how someone who's on fixed income right now is dealing with some of these increases. And so, of course, there's outrage across the province. There's outrage, and rightly so. The Ontario government, for all they've done, whether you love them or whether you hate them, the one thing you can't argue with is that they have, under their stewardship, the cost that we are paying for hydro has gone through the roof. It has been a bungled, mismanaged file that has led to people in this province paying through the roof for hydro. And as a result, people are justifiably ticked off. You can, you can love the idea of green energy. You can love the idea of some of the concepts. I don't know too many people who do, but you can love the idea of some of the concepts. But the reality is concepts are great until they actually are translated into real tangible stuff. And in this case, real tangible stuff means bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger bills. That's what we're dealing with. And I'm sure you heard this story today, but it absolutely, when I say stupid and insulting, I wonder how stupid Hydro One and the government must think we are. That their response to our outrage, to the public's outrage, their decision, the way they are going to respond to the customer outcry is not to reduce prices. It's not going to be to change service. It's not going to be to figure out how to bring costs down. It's not going to be to sell less hydro to New York or other places or wherever they do it for losses. They're not going to fix the problem. Have you heard what they're going to do? I'm sure you have. If you haven't, you're going to fall off your chair right now. If you have, I'm probably just reigniting your fury over this. Rather than fix the problem, rather than do something that will bring our costs down, rather than something that will create a more sustainable base for us as far as costs, Hydro One is going to redesign their bill. That's what they're going to do. That's how they're solving this problem. They apparently have talked to people all across Ontario and heard the outcry. And the way to fix this is to tap into behavioral science and figure if we change the bill, if we change the way the bill looks, maybe people won't be so upset because people have said they don't really understand what they're getting in their bill. Well, do you think that maybe when people say they don't really understand what the, what is in their bill, do you think that maybe 
they're not necessarily saying, I don't understand my bill. They're saying, I don't understand why what's in my bill is in my bill. There's two different things here. One is a lack of understanding. One is a lack of ability, of, of acuity, of mental acuity. And one is, I don't understand how in the world you are charging me this amount of money for this. I don't understand how if I save electricity, as you tell us to do, Charges go up because we didn't use enough electricity. But if I use more electricity, charges go up because I've used more electricity because I've tapped into the demand. So if I save it, it goes up. If I spend it, it goes up. That's what people don't understand. I don't think there's too many people who looked at their bill and literally in a reading way said, huh, I don't understand what this says. They know what it says. They can see the dollar amount. What they don't understand is how in Ontario, our hydro bills are going through the roof and no matter what they do, they can't bring the cost down. Tell me one other expense in your life that you literally could not contain by saving, by cutting back. If I say, you know what, my grocery bills are too high. What's the answer to that? All right, I'm going to I'm going to either pay for less expensive food. I'm not going to buy the marbled Kobe steak this time. I'm going to go and buy a little bit cheaper steak or hamburger. And you know what? Your bill will go down. Or I'm not going to eat as much. Or I'm going to buy a no-name brand. There is a way that if you're shopping for groceries that you can have an impact on your bottom line. If your gas bill in your car is too high, you can say, you know what? I'm not going to use my car as much. I'm going to take public transit. I'm going to walk more. I'm going to take my bike. If your cable bill with your internet and your phone and everything else, if that's too high, you can cut services. You can cut back on something. Get rid of your phone. Just use your cell phone. There's people, cut the cord, do whatever. Go through any area of your financial life. And if there is something that is you're spending too much on, you can take action that will cut back on that thing to save you some money. If your home budget is out of whack and you say, you know what, We're, we just can't keep up with this. I got to save some money. There are ways in every facet of your life that I can think of where you can save money by making changes, except with our hydro bills. If you cut back, you get nailed because you cut back because you didn't use enough across the province. If you spend more, if you use more, you get nailed because you use more. And Hydro's answer to this, the, the, the way we're going to solve this problem and appease the populace is we're going to redesign our Hydro bills. Really? That's the, that's the answer that the people at Hydro have decided is going to make this thing better? How stupid do these people think we are? They obviously think we're all morons. Let's be honest. What kind of company could sit in their boardroom and say, how are we going to fix this? And how are we going to make these people less angry? I know. Let's trick them with new bills that they won't recognize. They must, they have to believe that we are an absolute flock of idiot sheep who will just say, I'm so confused, I don't know what's going on, but okay, if my bill looks nicer, I'll pay it. They must think that we as a group, as a, a population of Ontario, have an IQ of about six. There's no other explanation for how they could come up with an answer as insulting as this, 
And that's what this is. When I said stupid and insulting, they believe you're stupid. And as a result, they are going to insult you. There is no other way around this. There is no other explanation for what is going on. Rather than solve the problem, this, let me use another example. You know that if you go to the hospital and you have intense abdominal pain, what are they going to do? Well, they're probably going to take you for x-rays, maybe an MRI. They'll take some blood. They'll take whatever they think they need to do to find what? The cause of it. And then let's say they find out that you've got a, I don't know. Let's say they find out you've got an infection of some organ. I don't know how it all works. I'm not a doctor. There are two ways that you can resolve this problem. Well, there's not. There's one way you can resolve the problem. There's two ways you could deal with this problem. The one is you could say, okay, we are going to give you the medication. We're going to do whatever we do. We are going to go to the root cause of what's causing this problem and fix it. Or you could say, you know what? Here's some aspirin. We're going to cover the symptoms for you. We're going to try and alleviate the symptoms. As for the root cause, well, it's not going to go away, of course. The aspirin is not going to make it go away, but at least it won't hurt so much. Now, the, the problem will go on indefinitely because we're not resolving it. We're not fixing the problem. The problem will stay there. Your infection will stay in perpetuity, and eventually it may kill you. But at least it won't hurt quite so much because the pain has been dulled by the aspirin. That's what they're doing here. Rather than solving any kind of problem, they're handing you a couple aspirin, or at least what they think you're going to assume are aspirin, because they'll have a new bill. It'll be fancy. It'll be nice. It'll be exciting. There will be new graphics, maybe. A new font. Oh, it'll be so much fun to get your hydro bill and look at this snazzy new piece of paper and say, oh, I know my bill is now three times what it was two years ago, but my goodness, look at how lovely this bill is. I don't even mind paying hundreds of dollars anymore because you know what? I'm going to take this bill and get it framed. It's so nice. I could actually make this artwork in my house. How idiotic does our government and the groups that it works with, how idiotic do they really think we are that we are going to somehow see this as the solution to anything? I just can't understand. I cannot understand how they could actually, with a straight face, with a good conscience, propose this, that they are going to change the bill and think this in any way fixes things. Now, they may argue, well, the bill is just one part of what we're doing. I'll tell you what the part is that you should be doing. Forget the bill, forget any other bells and whistles, forget any other skin deep treatments, forget any other aspirin, forget any other Tylenol, solve the problem. Figure out how to get our costs down. Nothing else matters. I don't care what the bill looks like. I don't care how it's delivered. I don't care what the, how big the graphics are. I don't care how big the font is. I don't care how big the letters are. The numbers are what matter. And I want them to be going down, not in size, in number. That's how you solve this problem. Just, I'm stunned that this is what they're going to be doing. I'm stunned that they somehow think that this is, that this is part of the problem. And even again, even if they say, well, this is only 1% of what we're going to be doing. We're going to fix other things too. Fix the costs. 
period. All the other stuff is extraneous. Fix the costs. I don't care about customer service. I mean, I do, but that's secondary. I don't care about the bill. That's secondary. I don't care about all the other stuff. Fix the costs. You have screwed up the costs. You have made a mess of the costs. Everybody's bill is reflecting the fact that you have made a complete hash of the hydro about the the energy file in this province. Fix the costs. I don't care what my bill looks like. I don't care if my bill is delivered to me by 12 lords a leaping every single time, right to my door or any other thing. I don't care. I don't care if it's delivered by drone. Fix the costs. Don't even go to your boardroom and don't even talk about the other stuff. Don't even talk about the, the, the extraneous, the superfluous stuff. Don't even talk about the peripheral stuff. I don't care about any of that stuff. Fix the costs. That's, that's, that's how you make customers happy again. All the other stuff, well, what's going to happen? You're going to get your new bill, and guess what? The number is going to end up being the same. So after you've enjoyed your new bill, that may or may not be clearer. I don't know if it's going to be clearer or not. I don't know if it'll explain things better. Maybe it will. I don't care. I'm not worried about understanding what portion of my hydro is for what time of day or anything else. I want to know that my costs are going down. They're going back to roughly where they were. I understand things go up in price. I know that. Go back to 1940. Things are a little more expensive now. Things go up in price. Things are more expensive now than they were in 2010, than they were in 2000, than they were in 1990. We all know that. Not like this, though. Fix the costs. Don't treat us like we are a bunch of idiots who will look at this and be so dazzled by a bill that will say, I don't care anymore. Wow. Send me more bills. These are fantastic. It's insulting. It's really insulting. A Hydro One spokesman, here's it from the National Post, said, right now when you look at the bill, it goes to the fourth decimal point, so it looks like an algebra equation. That's not particularly customer friendly. You know what else isn't customer friendly? Massive amounts of money that you have to pay them for the same amount of Hydro or less than you were using a few years ago. Fix the costs. You're listening to The Scott Radley Show, weeknights from 7 to 9 on AM 900 CHML. Clowns always seem to be kind of a friendly thing. And I'm sure that for most... I was going to say many. I would guess for most of you, it's been the same thing. You see a clown? Ha, ha, ha. It's funny. I mean, it's what's, what's one of the most famous episodes of any TV sitcom ever? Chuckles the Clown. Remember Mary Tyler Moore? It was a funny, of course, his ending wasn't very good. <laughs> he dressed as a peanut and was shelled by an elephant. But, you know, other than that, clowns are funny. Clowns are supposed to be funny. They put pies in each other's face and they pile out of Volkswagen bugs and they wear big shoes and red noses. Except something's gone on in the last few weeks, maybe longer than that. We'll find out in a second. But this, there is something going on with creepy clowns. Now, we're not talking necessarily John Wayne Gacy serial killer creepy clown, although that certainly falls into that category. But there is this craze going on, I don't know a better word for it, of people who are dressing up as creepy kind of psychotic clowns and standing by schools or by parks or by public buildings or at the edge of wooded areas and 
scaring the crap out of people, really. And so far, it's really unclear if there's any malicious intent to any of this. Mostly because I think people, when they see this, are not sticking around to find out whether there's any malicious intent. They're gone. I mean, even today, Hamilton Catholic School Board was put on alert because there was something online that suggested there was going to be a creepy clown at one of the elementary schools. It never apparently showed up, but nonetheless, everyone's kind of skittish about this. It's gotten so crazy that McDonald's has now even decided they're going to put Ronald McDonald on mothballs for a while here. No use bringing Ronald McDonald out. Things are, um, things are a little, a little wild right now. And that's probably not a great advertising campaign. Joining me to talk about this a little bit is someone who knows, uh, about the idea of clowns because he's studied human psychology. Kevin Bennett is a senior psychology instructor at Pennsylvania State University's Beaver campus. He was quoted extensively in a great piece about this in the New York Post. Kevin joins me now. Kevin, how are you tonight? Kevin? Have we got Kevin? Let me try and see if we got the other line here. Hold on. Kevin, are you there? Hey, Kevin, how are you? Sorry. Technical problems here. How are you tonight? We still having a problem with Kevin? Let me try this side. Hello? Scott? There you go, Kevin. Now I can hear you. Okay. Sorry about that. Oh, that's okay. I, uh, I press buttons here, and sometimes they work, and sometimes they don't. I'm, um, but we've got you now. That's great. Thanks for doing this tonight. Oh, you're welcome. Glad, glad to be here. When, um, let, let's get right into this. When did clowns stop being fun? Because all of a sudden, it seems like when we talk about clowns, it's all kind of weird and creepy and psycho. Yeah, there seems to be a, a social panic going on right mm-hmm. now, a moral panic, as some people call it. But I, my advice to everyone is uh, there is no need to panic. I don't think there are mutant killer clowns that are breeding <laughs> along the edge of the forest in your town or my town or any other town. Uh, I don't believe there's a, a pattern of connected criminals either that are dressing as clowns in different locations around the world at this point. Uh, and I say this because I'm, I'm a skeptic. I'm a skeptic about this and a skeptic in general. I think it's at the heart of, of the scientific method, which is something that I use. I'm a behavioral scientist, so uh, I take that stuff seriously. But I, I definitely do see that there is this panic out there. I don't know if you want to call it a craze or what. And uh, decades ago, I think your characterization is right, that decades ago, clowns were, for the most part, positive characters, and they were funny or just people were indifferent to them at, at worst. But now, in the, in the past few decades, there's been an increase in the number of creepy or killer clowns that appear in movies, uh, and I think that's a little bit of the problem here. But if, if I could just go back to August of this past year in South Carolina, that's where the first clown report was. And I think it's important to try to figure out what happened there, and then you can understand the rest of the story. Uh, and I don't know if you've talked with your listeners about the uh, South Carolina. No, start us there. Start us out. Where did oh, this thing well, actually start then? Yeah, it started, the first reporting of this wave of clown sightings anyways, uh, started in, in August 2016, so just a, a month or two ago, in South Carolina, in Greenville County. And it, it happened like this. There were some clowns that were reported on the edge of a forest, and they had green laser lasers, and they were just acting kind of strange, and apparently they were... Uh, taunting some kids or trying to lure them into the forest. And so the kids reported this to their parents, and somebody called the police. The police came out. They investigated and found nothing. So we don't know if the clowns were actually kids or teenagers or young adults. 
but we do know that there was this story going around that community that there was an abandoned house in the forest and there were people that were living in the house. And so I think that contributed to this overall fear in the community. And it turns out nobody was ever living in the house. The police investigated that. So I think it's really just one of those urban legends. And my guess is it started out as a hoax where you had a group of teenagers or young adults who decide to get their kicks at the end of summer before school gets back. uh, And they decide, well, let's dress up as clowns and have some fun one night. And then they had some success at scaring the kids, so they came back later that night and and tried to scare some people in an apartment complex not too far from the the edge of the forest. Uh, But they didn't do anything malicious, and they were never caught, and they didn't hurt anyone. So that was the first wave. And then social media then jumps in. Yes, exactly. People posted uh, pictures or videos or reports on social media and then what happened was about eight days later there was a new cluster of clown sightings in and around south carolina north carolina and the same thing happened basically no one got hurt there were some unusual sightings and, uh, and then it spread from there and these things tend to go in clusters whenever you have social panics like this they kind of pop up in clusters it's not unlike uh, bigfoot sightings or, or the loch ness monster or in latin america there's the chupacabra that's been around for decades and people will report seeing one and then within the next few days you'll have a half dozen or a dozen new reports well and there was a second thing that pattern there was a second thing kevin which is not here it was over in britain i believe and and maybe maybe it wasn't there but i thought it was there was a guy who was actually hiring himself out to parents to scare their kids into behaving, which of course is, uh, and he was, um, Wrinkles the Clown, I think was the guy's name who was, so, so, I mean, these things are, they're out there, but then you get it onto social media and it's, I don't know whether it's now copycats or who have said, okay, I got to do this now because it's out there. Or if it's people now are especially paying attention because they've heard it on social media, but somehow it just takes off. Yeah. You know, I think it's all those things. I really do think it was a hoax. The first one was a hoax. And then people realized, oh, this has some kind of effect. It, it scares people or arouses people somehow. And then you have lots of other people jumping in for their own various reasons. I think some people, uh, some people have staged videos clearly on, on YouTube and social media where they dress up as a clown and then somebody else video, videotapes it and they post that as if it's a real clown sighting. I think there's some of that going on. And I do think there's some people that just have some, some uh, issues, some mental issues, who decide that they are going to make themselves anonymous, because that's what you do when you dress up like a clown, your, your identity is obscured, and they might have malicious intent. Uh, and when I say malicious, it may not be physical harm, but they just like to manipulate people and scare people. And so they're getting a real thrill out of it. And then there's uh, other people that just, they just do it for the general attention. or you know. So I, I don't see any real pattern in terms of the people who are doing it. Like there's not an element of crime that ties all these together. And I think that's a fear that some people had, that there's, there's criminals, there's this underworld that's all connected, and they decide all at one time to dress as clowns in various cities. <laughs> I don't see any yeah. evidence for that. Yeah, we have that's the mafia. Yeah. We have the mafia, we have Hell's Angels, and we have the clowns. Yeah, right, <laughs> right. But the, the thing about this is, though, and what makes this really, I think, kind of interesting is, and you, you spoke to this when you talked to the New York Post, There is a group of people, there are some people in society though, who even before creepy clowns, when they saw clowns, they were totally spooked out by it. There are those who have been, you know, weirded out by clowns, even when it was just fun clowns. Yeah, exactly. There's, there's actually a legitimate 
anxiety disorder called uh, cholrophobia. That's the name for uh, fear of clowns, C-O-U-L-R-O, phobia, cholrophobia. And it's been around for a long time. And some people estimate that uh, as many as one out of 12 people have some kind of anxiety when it comes to clowns. They may not have the full, they may not meet diagnostic criteria for cholrophobia, but they have some kind of anxiety issue when it comes to clowns. Uh, and that's been around for, I guess, as long as clowns have been around. Um, and that, that comes about, usually when we talk about phobias like that, they come, or, come about in, in one of three ways. Either you can have direct experience with a, with a clown being traumatized somehow, and it, it doesn't have to be a physical trauma or anything like that. It can just be, uh, you know, you saw a clown when you were very young, and he got in your face and made a, a weird smile or laugh, and that's enough that that's stuck in your memory, and that became a, a phobic disorder later on in life. Uh, you can also develop these phobias through vicarious acquisition, and that means that nothing happened to you directly, but you witnessed other people who were traumatized by clowns or whatever it is. It doesn't have to be clowns. You can have vicarious acquisition for anything, fear of spiders or snakes or whatever. Uh, and then the third way that you can develop a phobia is through informational acquisition, and that means just reading about clowns or watching things on YouTube or social media. And so uh, vicarious acquisition and, and the informational acquisition, those are really um, exaggerated with social media because that's what people are doing. They're posting images and reports of clowns doing weird and evil things. And if you read enough of those or watch enough of those videos, you know, for some people they might develop a phobia from that. So, yeah, I mean, that's problematic in that people are just – Watching too much weird stuff on hmm. social media, that's one way to look at it. Is there something, though, about the makeup, the look, the, the, the whole thing about clowns that makes it particularly, I mean, if one, of, one in 12 people have a fear, I mean, it's something that, that isn't just, you know, completely rare. Is there something that makes clowns in particular something that would lead to this kind of phobia? Yeah, you know, I talked in that New York Post article that was written, I talked a little bit about something called the Uncanny Valley. And the clown face itself poses a very fundamental problem for us when we look at a clown, and that is mind reading. We're trying to, when we look at someone's face, we're trying to figure out what their intent is, what their mental state is, what their emotional state is. Are they currently happy or sad or aggressive? Uh, and whenever you put makeup on a face or put a mask on, that, that poses a serious problem. And with something called the uncanny valley, whenever you take an object that's not human, like some type of artificial intelligence or some kind of creature that's not human, uh, and you make it more and more human-like, we tend to get more comfortable with it. So the closer it looks to us, to being human, the more comfortable we are. And so there's a positive relationship with that up until the point when that artificial creature looks almost exactly like a human being or there's an uncanny resemblance. And at that point, there's this drop-off, and that's considered the uncanny valley. Once you get so close to being human, it looks creepy. And I think clowns, or a lot of clowns, seem to fall into that uncanny valley where we're so uncomfortable with it because it's so human-like, but it's not quite human-like. And so that's terrifying for a lot of people. And yet, you know... I think, uh, think the Duracell battery people from the 1990s, if you remember that. Remember that sure, yeah. Yeah, they they kind of they're close to that, kind of creepy. And yet, you know what we have? We're we're hearing all kinds of talk now. Maybe getting off track a little, but we hear all kinds of talk now about robots and life like robots and everything. It sounds like if what you're describing, the uncanny valley, is real, when we start having real 
ish looking people or you know what I'm talking about. It, you were going to be having a whole lot of this. Yeah, and I, that's an issue that the, the people in artificial intelligence in that community, they're aware of that. When they design robots, uh, if you design a, a robot that's just a simple plastic uh, face with a smile and two eyes, uh, we're okay with that. We're pretty comfortable with that. But the goal for the AI people is to get a, a, an artificial intelligence or a robot that looks almost exactly human, but they realize once you get to that point, it becomes creepy to have a robot that's you can't tell the difference between a human and a robot, and that's something they're going to have to deal with. I'm not in that community myself, but uh, yeah, that's that's something that they need to wrestle with. Okay, so if uh, are there examples of this other than clowns? Then, like, if if the idea is that we have something that sort of is acting human or looks human, but it's a little bit off, and we start getting into this, are there other than clowns or maybe robots? Are there other things in our life where we would look and we would apply the same thing? Well, there are just, uh, like I mentioned, the Duracell battery people, and I think the people, there's a similar effect whenever people go to uh, a wax museum and they see celebrities, like a Madame Tussauds wax museum, and uh, it's like, wow, that is, is that really, is that really Morgan Freeman? I remember I saw hmm. Morgan Freeman a few years ago. It's like, this looks exactly like Morgan Freeman, but it's, it's not him, so it's, it's kind of unsettling. Um, and I, those are the, the two examples I can think of right now. We only have a minute or so left, but uh, it, it has led me to something. We're way off the clowns right now, and that's fine because it, you, just ra- you just made me think of something that's really interesting. We, d- would this also then, if the idea of seeing something that is human but not the human that we're used to seeing and we feel uncomfortable by it, by this uncanny valley, could this explain why sometimes if we see someone who has a disfiguring appearance, a disfigured appearance, some sort of dis, something with their face or something that would make us uncomfortable. We always feel guilty because we say, oh, you know, I should not be feeling that way. Would that fall into the same thing? Yeah, I think it does. And that's because the face itself summarizes so much useful information for us, like emotional content, et cetera, et cetera. And we have certain expectations about what a face is supposed to look like, going back thousands of generations in our evolutionary past. And so when you see a face that's extremely disfigured in some way, either diseased or there was some trauma that happened during their lifetime, uh, it, it throws us for a second. And yeah, you're right, we feel guilty about it because we're not supposed to do that, but that's kind of the natural instinct that, that people have because we're, we're, we have expectations about how a face is supposed to look. It is, uh, it's fascinating. Before I let you go, do you think this then, is this something that goes for, you know, a little while and it's going to pass? Or do you think that when you have something like this happen, that as silly as it may sound, that clowns, that the, the, the feelings we'll have about clowns get changed in the long term. If, if, I'm, if I'm working as a f- part-time job as a clown, should I be worried that my future earnings from clowning are going to be affected by the fact that this creepy clown thing is going on? Well, I do think that it will end soon. I think that once we get past the, the high of Halloween, that it will die off in November. And I know that, uh, and that seems to be the case with most of these trends and social panics. They eventually die down. And I know real clowns are upset at this whole epidemic because uh, they, they say, well, we are not psycho clowns. We are real clowns, and we're, we make money, and we entertain kids, et cetera. So they're definitely not happy about it. And my guess, things will go back to normal. Uh, but my advice to parents who are concerned, because there are concerned parents, is, if you're walking down the street and you see a clown holding a knife standing next to a dumpster, well, walk the other way real fast. <laughs> yeah. And by the same token, though, if you see anyone 
uh, who's carrying a knife walk the other way. I think in some ways we're playing up the clown element of this story. Fair enough. Uh, and, and we're ignoring the, the danger. Well, if anyone's posing a threat to you or your family, whether they're wearing a clown outfit or not, you know, get away. You know, somehow, amazingly, it hadn't even dawned on me that we've got Halloween coming up and you just raised that. I got a, f- a feeling that we're going to be seeing an awful lot on Halloween night of people coming to our doors dressed as creepy clowns. And then you're probably right. Then it just fades away. We'll be on to something else. Creepy Santa. You never know. And there's some of those out there from movies. I've seen them. Kevin Bennett, senior psychology instructor at Pennsylvania State University's Beaver Campus. Kevin, really appreciate you doing this. Thanks for doing this tonight. Thank you so much. You're listening to The Scott Radley Show, weeknights from 7 to 9 on AM 900 CHML. If you've been listening to this radio station today and maybe yesterday, I don't know when it actually came out, there is a new up-to-date real estate survey that is out. They look at housing costs. They look at... All those kind of things. What are homes going for in the Hamilton area? I don't know if they do this every month or every six months or every three months. I'm not exactly sure. But the latest one is out now. And it's found very little, I think, that is going to surprise us, with one exception. Here's what's not going to surprise us. The average two-story home, according to this latest market survey, the average two-story home is up for, in value 14.8% from this point last year. Nearly 15%. If you own a two-story home, the value of that home is up probably about 15% over last year. That's a nice investment. If you have a bungalow, the average value is up roughly 16% from this point last year. But if you own a condo, or if you're thinking of buying a condo, the average condo price in this city is up only 5%. Now, 5% is still not a bad return on investment. If you were going to say, I'm going to put away some money, and if I can get 5% back, you'd probably be not too bad with that in a regular investment. But when you're considering what's going on with housing, you might want to do better than that. Anyway, 5% is the average condo increase. This is significant, not just because of the comparables to the homes, but it's also very significant because the Pier 7 development, you know, the one that's going to go in that the city is talking about right now, going in down by the water, something like 1500 new condos are going to be going in there. So what happens if we have a condo market here in the city already, that's not massively hot, and then we dump 1,500 new condos into the market. What happens to that? Well, normally my next guest is on here to talk about sports. We do this every Monday, but Don Robertson is actually, first and foremost, before he's a sports guy, he is a real estate agent with ComChoice Realty in Dundas. He's been doing real estate now for, I think he's, I think his last uh, thing said he's been a real estate agent now for 68 years. I'm not sure, but it's something like that, Don, isn't it? 74. 74. It's a long time, whatever it is. Um, Don, let's get to this very seriously. When we look at the, we know the housing prices in this city have gone up tremendously, and that's either a blessing or a curse, depending on where you are in the housing market. But what does it mean when the the condo market doesn't seem to be really taking off in the city? What what does that tell us? Well, it, it doesn't tell you anything unless you compare it to year to year over the last 10 years, really. You know, you're looking at it as a blip, and and I've been telling clients of mine that that want to buy, and there's all kinds of evidence to support this position, that if you're looking at it from a financial gain standpoint, 
and you're not looking at it as a lifestyle purchase, and, uh, the, the financial gain would be buy a single, single detached home. That's where the biggest amount of money is going to be made. Yeah, the biggest lift is always going to be in a single detached. The second one is going to be in a semi-detached. The third would be uh, a townhouse-style property. And the fourth is generally an apartment now, uh, like a condo in an apartment building. Now, I, I haven't seen these stats. Traditionally, they just refer to condos. So it's generally a mix between the townhouses and apartment-style condos. And I, I, I know what your next question, or I think it is, because I was listening, and you're going to frame it about all the new condos coming on the market. Are they as good an investment? Um, it used to be more traditional that people would downsize as they get into their 60s and prepare for retirement to go into, you know, an apartment style place where all you do is lock the door and head to Florida for your four months or Arizona, whatever you're doing. It's, it's now in downtown Hamilton, uh, not uncommon to see young people wanting that lifestyle and maybe not even having a car. Um, that's pretty traditional in downtown Toronto. You get a parking spot with your condo and you bump into somebody that needs two spots because you don't use any and they rent their parking space out and do very well on that. But again, it, it, it is supply and demand, but traditionally that's the way you will find the largest increases. So this shouldn't be a shock to anybody and it's pretty standard. Well, Don, one of the things that we all, I think, uh, accept as a truism that is part of what's driving the prices of the Hamilton housing market right now, or we do have a lot of people who are moving to this city from Toronto because they can't afford a home there. And so they say, okay, I'll come to Hamilton because I can actually get one. The question though, when you apply that to condos is, are people from Toronto coming here and wanting to buy a condo or they say, no, the reason I'm coming, I could get a condo in Toronto if I want. The reason I'm coming to Hamilton is because I can actually get a single family home here. No, well, a lot of, a lot of the people that are coming here that have driven, driven the market share and the market uh, percentages up are out of town buyers and traditionally from Toronto. I mean, if you drop a pedal or a stone in a pond and as it ripples out, the further away you get from a major city, the, the more inexpensive houses get. And we're not out of reach now. And so much of the talk about uh, all-day go service and so on, that attracts young buyers because they like that, whether they're buying a single-family home, you know, in, in the lower city more traditionally because that's where the uh, GOAT station is operating out of. But, yeah, they're, they're going to buy that. But it's, it's, it's going to give people an opportunity to retire and then, Rather than go into an apartment now, if you were in the East End or the, the North End, you know, traditionally, you know, the, the house prices were not that high. And a lot of those alternatives were to sell and go to an apartment versus a condo apartment. So, you know, they, they can now take advantage of, uh, because of their lift and their value, to buy a condo downtown. And there's, there's a big push. I mean, it's, the downtown is seeing a revival. And it's going to continue to see that. Now, I don't think we're going to see anything because we always want to compare ourselves to Toronto. Hamilton seems to like to do that the same way Canada wants to compare itself to the U.S. But um, in, in Toronto, well, there's lots of foreign investors. Buy them as an investment because traditionally our economy and our real estate market is very stable. So that's driven the price there. 
The same thing will happen as the amenities improve in downtown Hamilton, so will the value of the condos. So they're going to be a good buy. And if they build 1,500 down on the West Harbor, they'll get eaten up. All you have to do is, if you, I don't know when the last time half the people have driven into Toronto, but I certainly remember driving to the Sky Dome in the 90s, and you can see it from a country mile away. Well, now you can't find it. And you drive by and see all those condo towers and just say, where are all these people coming from? But there's a tremendous demand for condos and residential housing. And the province, through the Greenbelt legislation, are trying to control urban sprawl. They don't want the, the spillage into Waterdown and Ancaster and Upper Stony Creek. You know, they're trying to concentrate families and growth into where the infrastructure already is and where the school system is. So they're driving people to downtown and it's gonna become affordable and they will be good investments. As you said, it's 5%, it's not a full lift, but it's still a pretty good investment. Do you ever see the day that condos become a really good investment outside the downtown core, in Dundas, in Ancaster, in Stony Creek, or when you what you said right off the top, Don, about investment versus lifestyle. If you wanna live in a condo, you wanna live in a condo no matter where it is. But if do you do you see the day that someday there's enough people in this city, there's enough sprawl, there's enough whatever that you know a condo in Ancaster, a condo in Dundas might actually be a really good investment. The uh, Creekside development on Hat Street and the old O and K property in Dundas, which is basically a block from downtown, those prices have absolutely exploded. Now they, that has nothing to do, in essence, with public transit that has a lot to do with more affluent people being able to buy uh, condos if they've sold their house in the country in Flamborough or their their nice property in Dundas. Those, those condos are going very well and they're very expensive. The penthouses are close to a million bucks. You know, starters are 350. You know, so in Dundas, that little area, because Dundas is so cool, partly because it's home of the real McCoys, but it's such a good area and you can walk <laughs> to the downtown, you can walk to the arena and you can walk to downtown Dundas to Pocones and, and Mickey McGuire's Cheese and Cumbres. It's a very cool area to live in. Really nothing to do with public transit, although there's bus service there. But the stuff of down, so that, that does happen. It really, there really isn't any because Ancaster are bylaws. There aren't any large condo towers in Ancaster. It's for the condo market there. It's almost all townhouses uh, to speak of. There's a bit on Wilson Street. But when I talk about the uh, public transit and and being able to commute back and forth to Toronto, the Toronto buyers traditionally aren't going to buy in Dundas to take a bus to the GOES station. No, you're really talking about the lifestyle choice. You can live in Dundas in a condo, have a nice condo, and it may not go up in value quite as fast as a condo in the downtown, but you will have a nice place to live. Traditionally, that would be a good point, other than the, the properties at Creekside have gone through the roof. Okay. They're very expensive. So, but that's kind of a one-off, that's, that, and that can happen in a small, quaint valley town or something, a one-off like that. But traditionally, there will be downtown Hamilton. That's what they're building them for. But there's, there, you know, Dundas is a pretty affluent part of our city, and, um, you know, it, it also services you know, rural Lancaster, rural Flamborough, people have money when they sell farms and rural properties and they come in. And, and you're right, it's a lifestyle choice. Downtown, 
the stuff that they're going to build at the harbor front and the Connaught and that kind of thing will be driven towards that kind of a lifestyle for more young people. Creekside is more retirement and people looking to downsize and do what I said traditionally, just shut the door and go to Florida. Don, what are people looking for now, though? If someone walks into your office, they say, I, I'm really interested in getting a condo. Are they now talking generally about a high-rise kind of thing or a, 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 for lack of a better word, an industrial kind of building? And I don't mean that just like a big box, but I mean more of a traditional condo apartment building. Or are they more interested now, by and large, in the redeveloped, you know, there's one in Dundas, the old school that's on uh, on the main street there that's now condos, that kind of thing. What, what are they looking for? Are they looking for character or are they looking for just, find me the one with the most space and the most luxury and I don't care what it looks like outside? No, no, Dundas. I mean, the Creekside is very well pointed. It's, it's high-end entrances. The lofts, the old district high school, is uh, is kind of off the grid a little bit. They've got the big high ceilings that people can picture what an old school was like. You know, so it, it has character. The So when you're building in Dundas, you've got to give them nine-foot ceilings. You've got to do things a little differently. But people will pay for the luxury there because... It's a destination place. To answer your question, sound like a politician, yes, when people come into the office and say, we're thinking about moving to Dundas, we think it's a great little town, we'd like to buy a condo. Traditionally speaking, they're not talking about a townhouse. The townhouse market in, 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 in segments like Dundas are traditionally for starter families because there are multiple levels. There's going to be three bedrooms, but the bedrooms... Uh, may well be on the third floor and that's not what uh, lifestyle retirees want that is based on affordability and you're going to get a three-bedroom home that's got lots of living space but you're going to be in a townhouse so you start figuring it out that that's the uh, of a, a traditional house when you go single semi townhouse that's why the lift is different because they're less popular but you get more square footage for your money the lofts and Creekside, they offer luxury living. So and let's go like Dundas. They can they can get a big buck for them. So let's go back into the Hamilton downtown area for a second because that's where this big new development. Assuming it happens, and I mean everything seems to be pointing towards it will come together. You've got the downtown. You've got the urban density a little more now. You've got the interest in this kind of thing. If I own a condo in Hamilton right now and I'm thinking, you know, I'm not sure what I want to do with my future. I may want to be able to travel. I may want to get a nest egg, whatever else. Would I, would I want to sell that condo now before we get these 1500 new units dumped into the market? Or do you think there's enough demand right now, especially because it's going to be close to transit and everything else? Do you think there'll be enough demand to say those places can be built and there will still be a market for existing condos if someone wanted to sell later? I believe there's always going to be a market in, in downtown urban areas for condos. I would never sell it. I'd rent it. I'd rent it out and keep it as an investment. I, I just, I just, I think there's enough demand and there's enough people looking for places to live, and especially now, again, when they tighten up the greenbelt legislation and urban sprawl is, you know, we're filling up the residential capacity of this city, so we're going to have to go up. There's going to be no doubt about it. And when you've got to go up. And you drive people there, you're going to create demand and prices go up. It's all supply and demand and location. Absolutely. Absolutely. First, first, first day, the first class, Mr. Simpson looked at everybody and said, look, if you remember one thing out of this course, location, location, location. 
And if you're not you're not sure what to think about, it's location, location, and it is. So uh, with with the urban sprawl, with the green belt, and everything else being more controlled, people are going to have to live downtown, and it's going to drive up the demand. It's going to drive up the price. I would never sell a condo downtown. That development will only enhance the waterfront. That was the last thing I was going to ask you. Would you? If you had a few extra bucks lying around, would you invest in a place like that? Is that going to be a great investment down by the water eventually? You always want to build things by the water, Scott. They're ma- not making any more of it. They're not making any more Grand River. Uh, the Grand River is a great place to buy. Anything on Lake Ontario, anything near or on water is never going to hurt you. That's where things should happen. That's where, if it, you know, uh, smart cities build things like stadiums, condos, right? That's where it's all happening. You go to big metropolitan cities uh, around North America. If they can build a stadium or anything and condos and redevelop near the water, they do it because people are attracted to it. And they, you know, the, the trails down there are nice. Hamilton's doing a pretty good job. You know, they're redeveloping, and you go down to Williams and so on. You go for a nice walk there. You build condos down there; they're going to be worth their weight in gold. Don Robertson, Calm Choice Realty. Um, that's his. That's his actual job. But you can hear him here every Monday on the Scott Radley Show, talking sports as well. But Don, I appreciate you branching out into your actual work for tonight to help. Thanks for doing this. Thanks, Scott. Talk to you later. Uh, you know what? I, I find it a a really interesting thing. I'm going to be really interested when they put shovels into the ground, or even actually before they put shovels into the ground at this Pier Seven. Assuming it happens, and again, everything seems to point to the fact that it's going to happen. But what kind of demand is there going to be when you're talking about selling off 1,500 condos like that? Like, and it sounds like they may, it may not be 1,500 that go on the market simultaneously, but in very short order, and you know others are coming. Is it going to create a buying spree, or is it going to temporarily depress the condo market that already doesn't grow as fast as housing here for all the reasons Don just pointed out? But is it going to temporarily depress the condo market because there's so many of them that people could just buy them? Or is this going to create the next huge wave of quote, quote, immigrants from Toronto who look at a possibility to get a nice condo on the public transit or the go train system on the water for a lot less than they would get for the same thing in Toronto? And are they going to be all snatched up by commuters? It's a really interesting story. We're going to be finding out about our local real estate market probably in the next year or two. The Scott Radley Show, weeknights from 7 to 9 on AM 900, AM 900 CHML.